At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. This is Burnt Toast. I'm your host, Kenzie Wilbur, and today's episode is a repeat from Deep in the Archives. We're taking a short break to revamp the show, and we'll be back next January. We unearthed it today because we're in the midst of the year's biggest cookbook season. And for this show, we talked to food writer Melissa Clark, who's authored and co-authored more than three dozen books. What is that like? I'll let the show take it away. We seem to expect people to be able to do everything. They have to be great politicians and or sports stars, and they have to write a book. I'm just going to write a book. book. Sure, I can write a book. Absolutely, I could write a book. (laughs) And, you know, it was great because I just did it. I didn't. And I learned by doing it. This is a confessional. True life, some chefs don't show up for their own cookbooks. The hardest part of any cookbook is the proposal. Hi, and welcome to Burnt Toast from Food52.com, a podcast about what we all talk about around the stove, at the water cooler, in the office. It's what doesn't make it on the website, but what we're all talking about otherwise. I'm Kenzie Wilver, the slightly hoarse managing editor of Food52, and I'm here with our co-founder, Meryl Stubbs. Hi, Meryl. Hi, Kenzie. And our guest today is New York Times writer and prolific cookbook author, Melissa Clark. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And today we want to talk about cookbooks, but specifically what it means to co-author or ghostwrite which I think is a good place to start because, to me, the term ghostwriting sort of feels like it has a negative connotation. Well, I mean, it depends. I think ghostwriting is more specifically for people who people who are writing memoirs, important political figures or sports figures or just important people in the world who want to make it seem as if they had written their own book. We seem to expect people to be able to do everything. They have to be great politicians and or sports stars, and they have to write, which is actually ridiculous. So they're <laughs> hiding the fact that they needed a collaborator. I don't do that. What I do is co-author. And so what that means is that I, my name is visible on the cover of the book. Everybody who opens the book knows that whatever culinary personality I'm writing with is part. We partner together, and we work together on the books. Yeah. Well, I feel like probably... I would expect that when people ask you to write a book on their behalf or to co-author, your name is lending credibility. Now it is, yes. But not, yeah, not when I started, but certainly now. Now, you know, um, well, just to um, put it out there, I actually do not co-author any more books. It's something I'm not allowed to do being uh, on staff at the New York Times. So my co-authoring days are over for now, at least. (laughs) Too um, bad, any of you who were hoping. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I love, I, I love doing it. I mean, I do, I learned so much. From it, you know, I worked with amazing people. I've worked with David Boulay. I work with Danielle Balud. I work with the guys from Blue Ribbon Restaurants. I worked with Bill Yassis, who's a pastry who used to be the pastry chef at the White House. And every time I did a book, I would just—it was like having these people as my private tutors, and they mm. were teaching me how to cook better. Did know? anything ever surprise you? Oh, constantly. 
I mean, well, the most surprising thing was having worked with all these extremely accomplished chefs and realizing that all of them did it differently. Whatever it was, was it a roasting a chicken or slicing an onion or, you know, putting a pot of beans on to boil? You know, one of the things that shocked me was when I worked with Andrew Feinberg from Franny's in Brooklyn, and he salts his beans right at the beginning. He salts his chickpeas, brines them, then cooks them. And I had always been told, oh, you can't do that. And so I started doing that. And you know what? Beans taste better when you salt them from the beginning, uh-huh. and they cook up just fine. It's funny. It's I like, know, where did I that myth? Too. I don't know. I don't know where that myth came from. Um, but, I mean, even aside from, you know, the specific things that I learned, just learning that everybody does it differently gave me license to do it my own way. And you also probably had just this this font of, of knowledge and technique that you could just pick and choose from, right? Like, yeah. Because oh, yeah. you'd have different ways of doing the same thing from different chefs, and then you could pick your favorite. Exactly. So when I cut my onions, like, can we get nitty-gritty here? Yes. Oh, absolutely. You, you we really like nitty-gritty. Okay, Please. so you peel an onion, right? And then you slice it. Do you slice it around the equator, or do you slice it root to root to stem, right? So that's mm-hmm. one decision, and there are different reasons. It depends on how you're going to chop it, if it's going to like hold together. choose your own adventure onion cutting. Kind of, exactly. <laughs> and then if you do it that way. And then um, I, whenever I make, I always, whenever I, it's hard to describe, but whenever I, I would always cut onions into half moons in a particular way, and I would cut it across the equator so I'd get these half moons. It looked like a rainbow. Can you mm-hmm. picture it in your head? Yeah. It looked like, right. But Andrew Feinberg cuts does it, it the other l- way. He does it the other yeah. way. And it turns out that they cook differently when you do them that way. You, they will maintain their structure a little bit more because what I'm doing is I'm cutting across the, the I'm, grain, the, basically. Yeah, right? basically. Exactly. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm exposing more of the mem- I'm, I'm like basically like making more holes in it. Right. And so it cooks faster. But he, but it, it'll lose texture more quickly. So what he does is he cuts it the other way because he wants some of that texture but he, you still get the browning. Yep. It's fascinating. Like these little itty-bitty details. I'm also learning that Andrew Feinberg is a little bit of a rogue cook. He's a total rogue cook. I love that. <laughs> yes. Um, I also, I love the idea that writing books with other people sort of informed the way that you probably wrote your own books. Your first book was actually the Bread Machine Cookbook. Is oh, that yes, right? yes, it was. Back in 1993. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, tell us about how that, like, how that came about, how you decided that that was really the subject that you oh, wanted to... Do you really think I sat around and thought about, like, I'm going to pitch a bread machine? No, it was one of those things that someone said, hey, you, you want to write a bread machine cookbook? <laughs> and I was, I was in grad school. So I was too young to think about it too much. I was like, oh, money? You're going to pay me money? Yeah, just write a book. I'm just going to write a book. book. Sure, I can write a book. Absolutely, I could write a book. <laughs> and, you know, it was great because I just did it. Yeah. I didn't. And I learned by doing. You got your feet wet. I got my feet wet. I had four bread machines going at the same time. I had to do oh this bread gosh. machine cookbook in six weeks. And wow. it was over summer. Had you ever used a bread machine oh, before? Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love you were it. like, I don't not want to write a bread machine cookbook, so I guess right. I'll write a bread machine exactly. cookbook. Exactly. And it was just, wow, you're going to pay me money. And I think I probably spent all the money they paid me on ingredients anyway. I uh-huh. mean, I got very, very little, but it was so exciting. And I had the best time. And um, I also learned another valuable lesson. Or I mean, this is a lesson that I think all of us who cook keep learning over and over again. People like you when they, you come to their, you, know, you live in their um, building and you give them hot bread. Oh, amen. Seriously. <laughs> like here. Most you... popular neighbor award. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> even if it was the tuna, the infamous tuna casserole bread, even that one went over. Oh, <laughs> man. Whoa, please describe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you put in, you put a can of tuna in the bread machine with, <laughs> yes, you do, and oh. some sour cream and. <laughs> do you like wrap it up inside the dough? No, or no, you no, just no, throw no. It all you have to throw it all in. No, because you're just throwing way. in the ingredients exactly. anyway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So 
the, the bread tastes vaguely tuna like. I think I we mean, need to I think we need to run that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um I actually did not make <clears throat> it into the book. I don't even remember. But um yeah, it was great. It's great on a t- for a tuna fish sandwich. You should like double tuna. Double tuna. <laughs> double the tuna, the double, 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 double the exactly. tuna. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's hilarious. I wanna know if you had a mentor while you or if you were mostly, you know, you j- jumped in with this tuna bread and you just figured it all out by yourself. <laughs> oh my god, no no mentor would take me with a tuna bread. No, I had so many mentors. I'm very grateful. There are a lot of people in my life who, you know, supported me along the way. Very early on I had I worked at a magazine called Great American Home Cooking and I worked there for two years and it never actually published. It was um a magazine that was just they kept retesting the issues. And so we would have we had six issues. And we, we'd put out six issues, and we were testing them in the market. And it was a staff of people who used to be a food and wine magazine. And so these are great, talented, brilliant women who, and they're all women, as is often in the food world. And they really taught me. They taught me how to edit recipes. They taught me how to write a head note. They taught me how to test a recipe. I mean, just the nitty-gritty of everything I needed to know for my career. This was right after I'd written the Bread Machine Cookbook. So, you know, I had my, my food cred because I had this <laughs> publication. And um, I, was, I was also just out of grad school, you know, with my newly minted MFA. And I learned so much. Tracy Seaman, Pamela Mitchell, they just held my hand and taught me, taught me what to do. So that was the beginning. And then, you know, every job I have, I continue to learn. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. I want to get back to the co-authoring a little bit and talk about the process of actually creating a book with somebody else. I know a bunch of people who have worked on on books with chefs and other authors, and they've described the process a little bit like dating. And I want to know how <laughs> you how you think of it. Oh, it, each book is so individual. It really depends. I mean, sometimes it's a romance. You know, you just you get swept up with this other person and their whole life's view, and you know, you're like, should I leave my husband and fly off with whoever, you know, but Claudia Fleming and I are going to go, you know. Make a happy um, oh, home oh, together. Right, go. <laughs> and then sometime, and I loved working with Claudia so much. And then sometimes, you know, it's a little bit stressful. You have issues that come up and sometimes it's a surprise. You think, am I going to be able to work with this person? And then you learn that, wow, you know what? They have a lot to say that I really didn't think think about. So each each relationship is very different. I have to say the person who I worked with who surprised me the most, and I'm going to just talk about her because my name's all over her books, Paula Dean. I did her books, and um, I have never met anyone who worked as hard as she did. I mean, I was really surprised. I didn't know what to think. I had no idea. And this was, you know, years before all of this, the latest scandals. But she just worked her butt off. I would fly to um, meet her in her home in Savannah. And from the second I walked off the plane, you know— but in res- in a respectful way. She was so respectful and so hardworking. So that was, you know, my experience. And again, it was very limited experience only with writing a cookbook. But I was very surprised because sure. I just didn't, I didn't know that she really, 
I didn't know what she knew. Mm-hmm. And you know what? She It's not like she knew about other kinds of cooking, but the stuff she knew, she really knew, and it was solid. Mm-hmm. And she was also very curious. Mm-hmm. I introduced her to the arugula in her garden. That was thrilling. That's amazing. <laughs> surprise, I love that arugula. story. I know. Surprise. Well, you know, her gardener had planted all these things, yeah. and she didn't know. And I was like, oh, that's arugula. Let's make a salad. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> that was, I was actually going to ask. And you also worked on books with her sons. Yes, I did. And yeah. were they equally as surprising and, and curious in the kitchen? No, different. You know, they had, um, they were a lot more um, cosmopolitan. You know, Paula really grew up in a, you know, very, I mean, at, as she'd say to me, not bad for a girl with, you know, from a trailer park. And she mm-hmm. really, you know, had a limited limited experience in just the whole world. And, um, but they were a lot more cosmopolitan, a lot, sort of a lot more with it, a lot more, you know, Exposed. knowledgeable in other cuisines. Mm-hmm. So... Um, very different experience. Paula surprised you in her sort of demeanor and her knowledge. Did anyone who had asked for your help because they felt that they weren't capable or did, weren't interested in writing their own book, was there anyone who you sort of would have mentored into writing themselves at, like later on? That's interesting. Probably Claudia could have written her own book if she had the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's less... You know, I think it's more time. I mean, mm-hmm. they just don't have the time. Yeah. And, you know, I can write really fast. Like, how many headnotes can I write in an hour? Right. How many headnotes can you write in an hour? Right? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And for them, they would labor over one or two. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's a different scale. And they have, you know, other, they have restaurants to run. So I think it was less, you know. Yeah, I guess I assumed, I, I assumed maybe different reasons, but that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, that it's really just about resources. Exactly. And I can sit down at my desk all day long. <laughs> I'm just fine. We're, we're pros. Yeah, exactly. We coffee. Exactly. <laughs> I'm very happy sitting on my butt. So. <laughs> no, but that's a good bridge into the recipes that, that chefs don't, you know, don't necessarily want to be sitting around in front of a computer all day. Mm. And so a co-author is, is a great is a great person to have around to transcribe all those recipes that they probably just cook from the hip. Mm-hmm. Is that a very typical experience that you'll just watch? It, like, I, sort of like take us through what it was like to, you know, watch Balud in the kitchen and try and transcribe a recipe. Oh from well, him. that was impossible because you know Balud doesn't. He's not like he's hands on cooking. You know, I mean, he would sometimes, but he has his whole team. So I would have to go to different people on the team to see different parts of the dish. Mm. And oh, wow. yeah, so because and he was he he's a big micromanager, which is great for quality. But you know, so I would be I'd be working. I basically work with two of his chefs who were sort of assigned to me to keep me out of trouble, basically. And so <laughs> they, would, they would help me. We'd, and he was very involved in the recipe. You know, and he wanted, these were the recipes he wanted to present. So he was, we'd discuss them in detail. And then I would cook them with these two chefs or sometimes they'd, you know, send me to someone else. And then I would cook them again and then we would all taste them. And it was really this very laborious, wow. con, you know, process. But it was great. Whereas Waldy Maloof, I did his cookbook. He and I would sit down over coffee and he'd say, okay, so you take four tomatoes and you, and then six cloves of garlic and about a half a cup of thyme. And, you know, and he would just kind of, and then I would go home and test it. And I, you know, it was 90% perfect, the mm-hmm. recipe. He's like, he really could wow. just visualize it. He's like, you take your leg of lamb, you butterfly it, then you take your garlic. I mean, and that was amazing, too. Mm-hmm. In a book like Balloods or Boulets, uh, where you are learning this, these recipes through teams of different people and they're intricate dishes sometimes, how much are you thinking about, can a home cook pull this off in their own kitchen? Constantly. Constantly. I mean, that's what I, that is my job. That yeah. My job is to be the chef whisperer. And my job is to say, can I do it like this? Can I, you know, they'll show me the elaborate way and I'll say, can I simplify like this? Can I simplify like that? Why are you? And that's also reasons for the why, 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 why? Because yeah. mm-hmm. if it's not essential, I want to not use 17 pots. I would like to try to do it in two, you know, right. so I'm always thinking of that. But I wanted to ask about industry standards for percentages of advances. 
um, when you're co-authoring a book. It's obviously different financially. Mm-hmm. And having done both, does does that you know does that change per book per deal? Is there is there sort of a standard? No, every deal is different. Sometimes you get paid a percentage of the chef's advance. Sometimes you get a flat fee. It depends on if you're testing recipes. It's so complicated. Oh my god, that is why I have an agent who just like gets me the best deal that she can, and I don't. So you get, just don't even get involved. I try. Well, or I mean, I have a minimum. I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. But yeah, in the past, right? No, yeah. I had a minimum, and it's like if they could meet my minimum. I mean, and I also, I, you know, every co-author does different parts of the book. Some co-authors only test recipes. Right. Some only do the writing. I do both, and I insist on doing both. I don't do a book unless oh. I can test the recipes because what if they're not good? And how am I going to write you them can't if write I don't? About them if you haven't made them, right? But yeah. there are different. I mean, but then some chefs want their own people to test the recipes, and they just want the writer to write the head notes and the stories, and that's fine too. I mean. Everybody has their own way of working. It's yeah. not one is not better than the other. But for me, what I want to do is I want to learn that chef's techniques. I want to get into their head. and I want to understand what they do. And because otherwise, it's a good it's a good job, but it's not a learning experience as yeah. much for me. Mm-hmm. How easy or difficult is it to kind of put yourself into their shoes? That is the most important part, at least of the voice. I mean, the recipes are another yeah. thing, but to get their voice, you have to get into their head. You have mm-hmm. to anticipate what they're going to say. And it's really fun. I mean, for me, I thought it was great because I am also a frustrated fiction writer as well. So I love to, I mean, I love to write stories and I love to create yeah. characters. And so, you know. It's like method acting. Yeah, You're it like is. It's great. You just get into their heads. Like, what would they say? And sometimes for some chefs who maybe don't show up to appointments and who maybe don't actually talk to you for the whole entire book, you just make it make up. Make it up. <laughs> This is who, the, who you should be. Exactly. This is your best so, exactly. <laughs> this is a confessional. True life. Some chefs don't show up for their own cookbooks. Well, you yeah. know. You know. Are there like a couple of pre cookbook like hangout sessions? Like let's basically like dating. Yeah, like, that for sure. Let's get to know each other. Yeah. You what go, are those you, like? Do you usually go have a meal somewhere. Yeah, you go have a meal at their restaurant, yeah. and then mm-hmm. they try to impress you. And they send out all the dishes, and it's fun. And I mean, you're that's kind of great. Ill by the end, probably. well, you know, that's just that is just an occupational hazard uh-huh. that you just have to, right? I mean, don't yep. you? You know, I'm sure you guys have had yeah. endless tasting menus where you're just like, it's two in the morning. Have you ever been driven to home. tears? I have. Yes, I cried. Yeah. I per you se, did? I cried a per se. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally two in the morning, and I, I said to them, I said, I really just want to go home. <laughs> they said only five more dessert courses. <laughs> No, they didn't. Um, Actually, they did. The waiter did. He's like, "Um, well, um, uh, the chef um, has five more, uh, you know, totally embarrassed. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's. It's still it's an honor and a treat to be yeah. able to have those kinds of work exactly. complaints. Know. You know, We're it's really like oh, I'm so you know, exactly. Course. So <laughs> I'm it's, I'm pretty darn lucky, and you know, if that's my the biggest thing. Was there a voice that you found it particularly hard to to get into, or a, a, a chef or a writer who you found particularly hard to emulate? I, you know, I think the the biggest challenge probably were the Brombergs, who are the most lovely people, but they're also both pretty good writers, and mm-hmm. their writing styles are very different. And so my job was to sort of integrate them and integrate their voices into sort of this unified. It was very Ooh, hard that's because hard. they. I mean, and then I thought, well, can we do like different vo- fonts with different voices? Eric says and Bruce says, but that got too complicated. So that was really hard to figure out how to create a voice of two people into one. And this happens a lot. I mean, you see yeah. a lot of so it was this synthetic experience like okay, I'm going to just make some make this happen. And it was it was challenging. What are some of the questions that you ask that you have asked people that you've worked with like to get to 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 get to that like what do they want? Do you do you ask them what other cookbooks they like? I mean, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, there's like a whole process, you know, what yeah. 
what other cookbooks they like. Often they'll come to you and they say, I want to do a book, but they don't know what that book is. Uh So we spend a long time figuring out what the book is. The hardest part of any cookbook is the proposal. Absolutely. It is. For me, it's the roadmap for the book. I need a solid proposal. Uh Plus, the better your proposal, frankly, the more money you're going to get. So it's very important to work really hard right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And your pitch um, deck. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's not something that you can throw together. It's something Uh that you take a lot of, I take a lot of time on. My proposals tend to be very in-depth and very long. And and I mean, it's really, it helps me too, because I also, you know, when you're getting into bed with these people, you want to make sure that you all have the same vision from the beginning and that you all know what you're going to get at the end. And then, by the way, it all changes 100%. (laughs) But at least you think you do. You think you know. Yeah. Postscript. It will be completely different. It will be completely different. In fact, you will end only five of the recipes that you start with will remain the same. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to get somebody the book that they want. You want it to be cookable, which is a great, I mean, we talk, we think about that all the time. That's our business. That's what we do. But are there any other big sort of marquee things that make a cookbook great to you? that you really strive for when you're writing something. Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to learn. I need to be learning. I you know, I'm not that interested in seeing the same recipes over and over again. And if they are the same recipes, I need there needs to be at least some teaching moments in mm-hmm. the recipe so I'm understanding because otherwise I'm going to be bored. Do you have you been involved with the photography ever with Yes. Yes. Yes, not so much as a co-author. I try to stay out of that okay. because chefs tend to be very they're very specific about the way their dishes look. So I try mm-hmm. to stay out of that. Got In it. fact, So just for your own books? Just for my own sense. books, yeah. What I do help them do is try to help them figure out which are the dishes that I think make the most sense to photograph. Mm. Because sometimes, again, they'll want that rabbit stuff with sweetbreads wrapped in foie gras. Oh, and really? so, you know, that is a beautiful dish. But I think you're going to, I think the macaroni and cheese is really, that is the one that is, you know. <laughs> that's the crab <laughs> That's going to be the one. People are going to run away screaming. <laughs> or, or, like the hot, or like the hot crab dip, right? Like, yes. yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Gooey with the crackers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you lean one way or the other in terms of liking writing for yourself more, liking writing on a team? Oh, they're just completely different experiences, mm-hmm. and I I love them both. I mean, I love learning, so, I, you know, you need to have someone to teach you. So mm-hmm. the chefs chefs are great for that. It uh, seems like that's what makes them the same to you. You're learning on, on either process. It's it's Obviously, there are so many different things about working with someone else versus writing for yourself, but it seems like that's the thread that that's the same. Yeah. Well, that's true. And, you know, even I'm writing a cookbook right now. It's all about dinner. And, you know, I've made dinner so many times. I mean, you'd think, <laughs> but I'm constantly, it's fascinating. I'm constantly learning. I'm enjoying it so much. We're eating really well. Dinner is hard. Dinner is hard. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's like, so what is, what kind of book is going to, what kind of book do you want to have to guide you through dinner, you know, and who are you? What kind of cook are you? Who am I writing for? Who's my audience? Is this a basic book? Is this a 2.0 book? Are these people who read Odalengi? Are these people who have never opened up the joy of cooking? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like figuring that out and then sticking to that is... It's a challenge. In my Times column, I can do whatever I want. I mean, obviously, whatever the editorial team and I come up with. But it's I I don't have to be consistent. And this is 250 recipes of being consistent and having one point of view and Mm -hmm. one voice. and um, Writing to a a group. Yeah. Yeah. You have a target. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it keeps shifting. So I have to kind of like (laughs) nail it down at this point. But it's been so that's a learning process, too. So what kind what is is there an angle yet for dinner? I mean, is it weeknight dinner? It's okay. So this is what it is. It's it's not entertaining. It's 
just weeknight dinners. Mm-hmm. So no legs of lamb because you're not going to do a leg of lamb on a weeknight, even though leg of lamb is super easy and you throw the stuff on it, but it costs $97. Mm-hmm. So you're just not going to do it. But there's a lot of chicken <laughs> because yeah. you know what? Really, it's like out of 250 recipes, I think 38 of them are chicken. Um, I think it's more of a 2.0 book than a basic book. I think it's for people who are who are comfortable with a preserved lemon. You know, they know, uh-huh. they know mm-hmm. where to get one in the grocery store. I like that as an identifying marker of your culinary skill. Mm-hmm. Do you know what to do with a preserved lemon? Exactly. Are you comfortable with a preserved <laughs> are you, lemon? I, have like, I mean, because there is something. It's like you have to take it out of the jar, and then what? Do you take the seeds out? What about they use the whole thing? Yeah. What do you do? You know, yeah. and I will tell people what to do, but they just have to be comfortable with the whole you know, maybe the mystery of it, and they'll read the recipe, and they'll be like, all right, cool. So the preserved lemon, and then we put it with it. Hey, there's only six ingredients in this whole dish, and it's really complex because I use this preserved lemon. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's like mm-hmm. salt, pepper, chicken, preserved lemon, and cilantro, and mint, and olive oil, and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I'm going for is I want to do flavor combinations that are a little bit unexpected. Super easy technique, though, mm-hmm. So because people don't want to have to, like, no. you know, one pot or pan or maybe two, but, you know— very streamlined, small pieces of proteins, inexpensive, but, you know, exciting in terms of flavor. So, Melissa, you have to go. I do. I'm having seven people over for dinner tonight, so I have to go home and um, and cook dinner. <laughs> so it's 4.30 p.m. What time are they coming over? They're coming at 7. I'm going to jump on the subway. I'll get home by 5.15 or 5.30 if I'm lucky. I have an hour and a half. I have my husband as my slave for that hour and a half. <laughs> the chickens are marinating. I made, I got up at chicken. 6. I'm making chicken. <laughs> I got up this morning and I made this fabulous parsley jalapeno kind of salsa verde with anchovies and capers. Yeah. So I have that made. So I've got the chicken. Mar- I've got the chicken in the fridge. I've got this sauce. I have cute little micro potatoes <laughs> and um, and then whatever else I can find. And a bunch Sounds of wine. Great. And a bunch of wine. <laughs> Wine's in the fridge. All right. Well, we'll let you go rescue your chickens. Thank you so much for joining this us. This was so much fun. Thank you. Oh, we had a great time. So that's it for this episode of Burnt Toast. Our producer is Tim Einenkel. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. Our Twitter address is at Food52, and you can email us at editors at food52.com. If you like the show, tell everyone you know and subscribe to us on iTunes. Next time, we'll be answering your questions about throwing dinner parties, and we want to hear yours. Email us, tweet at us, or even better, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it our way for a chance to be featured on the episode. For Melissa Clark and Meryl Stubbs, I'm Kenzie Wilbur. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.